like the show? Want to listen to episodes early? Consider becoming a patron. Starting at the $3 a month level, patrons get access to a custom patron-only feed where we put out episodes of Upstairs Studio podcasts like the Child Care Bar and Grill, Miss Becky's Classroom, That Early Childhood Nerd, the Renegade Rules podcast, and others early. That feed is just for patrons. You could be one of them. Go to patreon.com slash playvolutionhq or click the link in the show description to learn more. Hey everyone, it's Heather. I know you're here to listen to the podcast, but did you know I also offer all kinds of online consulting services? Stuff like webinars, book studies, curriculum training and consultation, and even companion activities for podcast episodes to use for staff development. If you're interested, you can check out my website at www.thatearlychildhoodnerd.com or you can email me at heather at thatearlychildhoodnerd.com. Thanks for listening. Grab your highlighters. Can't find them? They're probably right there in your pocket protector. It's time for that Early Childhood Nerd Podcast. Let's get nerdy. Here's Heather. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. I'm Heather Burnt Santi, and uh, I've got Dan Hodgins again. Hey, thanks, Heather. Miraculously, Dan Hodgins keeps agreeing to be on my podcast. Um, So thank you. Welcome. Uh, I I, um, emailed Dan a few weeks ago with a a question that I thought I really wanted to hear his opinion on. And I thought if I want to hear it, probably everyone else does too. So so here we go. But um, I'm going to start with a quote and uh, and then we'll jump in. But so this is from... Uh, Francis Wardle's book, Oh Boy, Teaching Strategies for something. I don't remember the subtitle. Yikes. But it's, it's Oh Boy by Francis Wardle. Yes. And he was on the show a few weeks ago. Um, but anyway, he writes, there's no research or theory in the vast early uh, childhood body of knowledge that supports the view that children can only learn while sitting down quietly. In fact, there is growing research that suggests movement is positively associated with learning. Um, children need to be encouraged to move throughout the day, both indoors and outdoors. And this movement needs to be viewed as a very positive learning process, as opposed to an impediment to learning or something that needs to be controlled, which is kind of where we started to go before I hit record and I made you stop. So this, this came up for me, um, because I have some, some friends who are parents who are, um, their children are starting online kindergarten and, um, and the parents are very worried because it's hard for their children to sit still and attend to online kindergarten. So they wanted some, some ideas for fidgeting kinds of, of toys. Um, and what I sent them instead were ideas for big body movement breaks. So, you know, just the idea that a fidget toy might really help one child um, but it can't be the only answer if a child is telling you that they need to move their bodies rather than be sitting in front of that that screen. So, um, so I wanted to hear uh, your thoughts, Dan, on fidget toys in general, movement in general. Yeah, I think learning the challenge, the challenge of fidget toys to me implies 
that um, I wanna control your movement in some way to make it easier for me as the adult mm -hmm. to handle it. I understand, you know, especially with parents and children being at home and, and the world is really different now. But uh, so therefore, I think sometimes we look for things that might make it easier for us as adults rather than looking at what the child really needs. So yeah. part of my concern about the whole fidget toy thing is that, you know, maybe if we had this, we can stop the child from being so active. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and the real issue to me, Heather, isn't fidgeting. It's what children are good at mm -hmm. versus what they might not be good at. <laughs> so if you're really good at fidgeting, then my role as an adult, a parent, a teacher, is to make sure that I have things available for that child to be good at what they are good at, which is fidgeting. Uh -huh. um, we almost believe that fidgeting is, is a bad thing um, when perhaps it's not bad at all. It's mm -hmm. just the way the child um, needs to move and, and grasp. I know for my own, my own self, putting me on an airplane for a long trip, you would not want to sit next to me because <laughs> I, I want to get up. I, it's hard for me to sit still for very long. So if it's that difficult for adults, you can imagine, you know, what it might be for children too. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I think, you know, of course, anytime we can tie it to what, how an adult feels or an adult's experience, I think that's really helpful. And it always reminds me of um, two years ago when I hurt my knee, um, I couldn't cross my legs during meetings <laughs> and just that I was constantly aware of the fact that that was my comfort position and that's what I needed to do. And so I was not focused, even though I was sitting still and, and looking like I was focused, my mind was only thinking about how much control it was taking to sit that way. That was so uncomfortable. So I think about that a lot, you know, whenever we're talking about asking children to sit for longer than they're able to, or, um, or that they just don't want to. Um, it's interesting. You talked about uh, fidgeting in two different ways there. And I think my view of an individual child is going to determine uh, me as a teacher in general will determine what I think about fidgeting. Like if it's a child who I know that if I hassle them enough, I can get them to sit still, then fidgeting is a misbehavior. And um or if, you know, I feel like it's disrupting the group. We, I see it as a misbehavior that I need to try and stop. If a child has, sometimes if the child has a diagnosis um, or like a behavior plan, then we see fidgeting as something we're doing to try and control that, yes. that behavior. Um, so it, it just is interesting to me, the many ways that we view it and the reasons we suddenly find that it's okay when right. in this other situation, we would be really annoyed by it. And that's what I meant by whether or not we view fidgeting as something the child is good at uh -huh. versus something the child is bad at. Uh -huh. Because if we view fidgeting or being active as bad, then we're probably going to get more challenging behaviors mm -hmm. because the child needs to demonstrate how good they are at it. Right. So I'm always thinking about, okay, let's say we're in a classroom where or even at home, if they're looking at a computer screen and they're sitting in a chair, I think the chair invites children 
to fidget, um, especially if they're an active uh, child, because it takes a conscious effort for children to sit down. It's not an unconscious. For mm -hmm. children, it's a conscious effort to sit down. And during that time, uh, they're going to move their chair. They're going to move it back and forth. They're going to do all kinds of things. And then we view that as, why can't you sit still? Right. And yeah. yet the chair is giving the opposite view to the child. Maybe I could stand in it. Maybe I could get <laughs> underneath it. Maybe I could push it. Right. You know, all those components that are really natural. Yeah. Look at all these opportunities you've presented me with by giving me this chair. <laughs> right. <laughs> So sometimes we actually invite um, children to fidget without even thinking uh -huh. about it. I'm, I'm always thinking when I go visit programs, the active child has a really hard time sitting down for snack, for mm -hmm. example. And I, I'm a believer that why do you have to sit down to eat? Now, I understand if you have a toddler, it's a way to corral them. <laughs> <laughs> but if we're talking about children in general, is it perhaps more productive for the child if they actually got to stand up yeah. and eat? I call that happy hour we're eating or twitter <laughs> out too. Sometimes when they go out to have a drink, yeah, whatever, yeah. they stand up at the stand-up table uh -huh. and eat. And I'm yeah. thinking, nobody's scolding them for doing Yeah. <laughs> that behavior. So I think sometimes our approach um, encourages or discourages what I, th I think is natural behavior for uh -huh. children. Yeah. And I think um, it's another example of, I talk a lot about euphemisms that we use in the field when one sort of practice is, um, you know, suddenly discouraged or sort of falls out of favor we sometimes only change the language, but don't really change our expectations or what we're doing with children. And I think that movement and fidgeting falls in that category for me because it's not always um, seeing the need. You know, we say, oh, we're meeting their need to move, but what we're really meeting is our need to have children under control. Um, and, and so we'll allow this little treat of movement um, as, you know, sort of a bargain, a deal that we're making, but yeah. it's really still about me and, and my needs as um, you know, if I'm a teacher who sees whole body listening, I just learned that was a thing um, that people expect from children where you're sitting and you're looking at the, and your hands are still and your legs are a certain way and you're looking at the person who's teaching you. And that's, um, whole body learning, and it's not. <laughs> it's like the, the concept that we often talk about is that crisscross applesauce yeah. pretzel yeah. movement yeah. Um, implies um, I, I want control of you. At yeah. the same time, they classify it as well, children, are, the only way children can learn is if they're sitting still um, yeah. and paying attention to what I have to say. Yeah. Yeah. Whether it's relevant or not, doesn't matter. Right. That I need that opportunity. They call it the teaching moments, uh, seem to be those movements or mo moments when uh, children are paying attention yeah. uh, to me uh, rather than us paying attention. Uh, to what they need. Right. It's, and I think that's kind of what Francis Wardle was saying in the quote that I used at the beginning is that we, we, we let, you know, we give them a little bit of movement, but the goal is still to get them into this large group, sit still. You know, we, we think that the, the little two minutes of 
Simon says that we do meets that movement need enough, but really they're learning while they're doing all those big body movements that they need. That should be seen as a positive thing, not something we have to fix, not a deficit. Yeah. Um, and when I talk with teachers, they frequently talk about, talk about children who run a lot yeah um who jump a lot who <laughs> who move a lot mm-hmm. um as a child who needs some sort of control um versus the child who has learned to pay attention to what the teacher wants and therefore does it mm-hmm. um, by sitting still um those kinds of behaviors yeah. as, as being the child i like better than the child definitely who, that jits or moves. Uh, yeah. Calling the prancing child who, the, guy, the boy who holds onto his penis and jumps and around. Prances, yeah. <laughs> That's the prancing child. It's also yeah. a hip hop artist. Uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know, those kind of components. Yes. I've also heard that framed um, as I'm working with early childhood teachers as. Um, well, that's a distraction for the children who want to learn, as if sitting quietly is automatically a sign that you are interested and in learning and tuned in, and maybe not just a different personality style or a child who's sort of learned by trial and error that it's less painful to just sit and get through this to get to the next thing that I want to do. Um, and I, that's so unfair. I, in fact, I, I posted something on my Facebook page about that whole body listening it was like just a meme about how we should get rid of it. And a lot of the comments were, um, but it's such a distraction for the other children. And, and I thought, well, if you're doing something and half the children can't sit still for it and the other half are distracted by that, then you should think of a different way to do it. I mean, that's your responsibility as a, as a teacher and as a professional is to collect that data that the children are giving you and, and work on solving the problem. Right, and that's what I meant at the beginning. If you notice the child is really good at fidgeting, uh-huh. then it's my job as a teacher to look at how to give that child more opportunity mm-hmm. to fidget. Right, um, and to because be it's what active. he deserves, not because yeah, we get control in terms of that um, component. And whether or not it's distracting or not, I think probably it's more distracting for the adult who's interested in. Um, teaching in a way that might suggest the only way that earning take take place is if I pour out information. Um, And in an online uh, learning setting, what choices do we have? Like that's, (laughs) yeah. So I always, you know, even with power struggles, I'm always looking at, you know, most of those can diminish uh, the more activity that we have for children, especially if it's full body Mm-hmm. Um, energy kinds of experiences. So I often look at how often does a child who really needs more activity um, get to do that in, in some way indoors. I think we're better at it outdoors, although mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really concerned that we're even starting to control that now. Oh, yes, definitely. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, we start certifying outdoor playground equipment and making it less safe. Right. Uh, and talking about taking the classroom outdoors and you suddenly you have dramatic play outdoors, yeah. which really lends itself to being still, even though you are out there yeah. where, where typically you would be doing more movement or painting, you know, not that that's yes. wrong. If, if children want to do that outside, that's one thing, but, but think, I mean, just being intentional about it because also you're taking away sometimes the one opportunity that they have to really 
move and run and yell and the things that they need to do sometimes. And have control of what they need. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think part of the um, whole idea of why fidgeting can be distracting is what adults say is we're not really giving children the opportunity to choose what they need mm-hmm. uh, in terms of their energy levels. And it's going to be different for different people. Some children can sit for a long time mm-hmm. um, at a task that they're really interested in, or somebody else might be a floater uh, in terms yeah. of their development. And, and one is not better than the other. They're just different in terms of their needs. Yeah. And if we give children the opportunity to control that, um, it becomes less, quote, distracting. Yeah. Yeah, we... Um... In, in my class the last year in my preschool class had one uh, we do like a story time in the morning and we sing and we read a book and we talk and, you know, maybe 10 minutes depending on their interest. And um, one little guy just needed to be circling the room that whole time. And he would just be walking around, but he was listening. He could contribute yeah. to the story. He would come over and talk about the song and then go back to wandering. Right. And, you know, nobody else cared. The other kids were right there and that's, that's fine. Um, but I had a grad student then say, well, why does he get to do that when no one else does? And I said, cause he's the one who's showing me that he needs to do that. <laughs> so, you know, if the other kids needed to do that, we'd be talking about ways to make that, make it okay for them to do it too. But none of them have expressed that need. So they're hanging out over here with us and he's doing his laps and it's all okay. Right. Right. And plus the fact, if you've got a child who's saying, teacher, he's, He's standing up and pushing me. Well, you might want to get closer to me then. Sure, uh, yeah. Rather than saying, well, you know, Jason, stop doing that. Uh, can't you hear what Carl is saying? You know, you might want to get closer to me because he really needs to move right now. Uh-huh. Um, it, it, it's more receptive. It invites that it's okay mm-hmm. um, to be active because that's my big concern is we're giving the message that it's not okay to be active. Yeah, absolutely. And we yeah. don't want to do that because one is not better than the other. Again. It's just one may be of- easier for us, but it's not yes. better. Yeah. yeah. And I'm wondering whether or not it, we think it's easier, but in reality, if we're trying to control a child's movement, um, <laughs> you know, it's like saying, I'm going to stop you from running down the hallway, <laughs> even though the hallway says, run, run, run. <laughs> thing where the other yeah. child is screaming teacher he's running well i see that <laughs> let's get up to him let's get him yeah <laughs> uh, uh, it's a different attitude yeah then yeah. you know and it sends a different message to the group mm-hmm. um because if one child says he's he's moving too much and it's bothering me or whatever and we correct that child Everyone in that room is receiving that message, not just the child that we're correcting. Um, But if instead we say, uh, well, I wonder what you could do. Maybe come stand by me. Then we're sending them more of a accepting problem solving, um, you know, positivity about difference um, message to the whole, to the whole group. Um, I had one, one time, one of the boys, I think he was four at the time was, you know, just that, you know, he's in my space, he's touching me, whatever. And I said, well, you could move. And he literally said, I can do that. (laughs) (laughs) Like it never occurred to him that he could take care of that problem. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What a good way to suggest to the group, the community of children, 
you know, you, you can have some control of this. Yeah. Yes. You can actually move. Yeah. <laughs> he was just like, oh, his mind was blown. <laughs> yeah. This option he'd never been given. Before. I had a child who took the beads and string and it happened to be a boy. So he turned it in, not that all boys do this, but he, yeah. he turned it into a helicopter. Oh, or girls, sure. when they bead and string, make necklaces. Right. Yes, or snakes. Um, and so he started <laughs> twirling it like a helicopter. And one of the girls said, he could, he's going to hurt me. And I said, you could move away from his helicopter <laughs> if you want to. Because <laughs> right now he's a spinning. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's movement is one of the biggest ways that we sort of stigmatize a child at an early age, even in infancy. If it's a baby who crawls over yeah. other babies, we've already got them labeled as aggressive and a bully. And they're just, you know, practicing their movement and learning about their bodies in space. And Absolutely. Um, I had a toddler one stand in a toddler's head who was playing on the floor <laughs> to look out the window. <laughs> <laughs> and the mom saw that and I said, I'm going to help him find something. <laughs> but again, that's the other thing with active children. I don't know if you notice this, Heather. Active children frequently don't notice what's around them. Yeah. Because their interest is not who was around me. Right. Their interest is in the doing part. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes they might knock over a child as they're running. And it's not because they're mean. Right. It's because they don't see the child, right. uh, they're moving so fast. So I'm often yelling, "Getting out! Get out of his way! <laughs> fast!" Here he comes. <laughs> Everybody scatter. <laughs> Which supports both the active child and the child who is not as active. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, and we're not letting you know one kid win right. or get his way. We're understanding development. And so even though, you know, I've, I've heard some people when that child is running and knocks somebody else over say, you know, things like, well, he's just so selfish. He just doesn't see anything but himself. Well, that's part of his development or her development right now. That's their need and that's what they're practicing. Yes. And if we give them those experiences, they might eventually learn about their bodies moving through a group. But if we don't and they don't get a chance to practice that, then it's less likely that they're going to start having that perspective when we, you know, feel like they should. True. And, and again, we don't want to get the image. We keep bringing this up that yeah. one is better than yeah. uh, the other. Yeah. Going back to the original situation that you took, you know, yeah. if, if children are looking at a computer um, and they're watching classroom experiences, whatever, mm -hmm. um, there is an invitation there to <laughs> um, move because um, after a while, it's just not possible for them to, you know, they're we're saying that about 20 minutes is all an adult can handle. Yeah. Imagine how, um, you know, limiting it must be uh, for children. So I'm worried about um, what this is saying to children uh, in terms uh -huh. of opponents. So we're really going to need to give more breaks yeah. uh, for children. 
uh, the possibility of standing up rather than sitting down. Yeah. One parent uses a pillowcase and the child actually stands in the pillowcase and hops. Some boundaries, right. uh, but at the same time doesn't say he can't move. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, right. so some of the home situations are a little more challenging. Right. And, and I know that the teachers have some limitations in sure. how they can present it, but at the end of the day, if our goal is teaching or we hope that the child has learned something, we can't do that while ignoring developmental realities. Absolutely. And yeah. actually, it's just the opposite because if we're expecting a child not to follow through with what they need, uh-huh. learning is going to, to be diminished rather than increased. Right. Because yeah. we know that movement like Francis Water said, movement actually increases cognition. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have enough research to indicate uh, that. So to stop a child from moving uh, would mean he will be less prepared uh-huh. for the world. Yep. Yep. If we want to talk about readiness, <laughs> we've got to talk about movement. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's interesting because whenever we talk about when people talk about readiness, it's never talked about in terms of movement. It's no. talked about, you know, see, it's you know, readiness for sitting still. Exactly. Is what we're talking it's about. All those activities <laughs> that cause a child to sit still. Yep. Yep. Um, I have to write that this note down. I uh, think the other part of this is is whether or not um, a child needs more not only the activity, but maybe an experience that's more relevant than sure. Uh, because the relevancy of an activity would decide sometimes the movement mm-hmm. of the experience. Because I've seen children sit and, and do things uh, with active materials uh, for quite a long time. Right, right. In some cases. At the same time, that child might need to run uh, frequently too, but it doesn't mean that that child can't sit. Mm-hmm. It just means that it depends on what the experience is, whether or not it's relevant right. uh, to them. Right. When my son was in childcare and he was probably three or four, um, you know, they wanted to talk to me about their concerns about his fine motor development because he wouldn't sit and do the, you know, <laughs> written worksheet or whatever. Um, but he would he would stay at a sensory table for an hour if you'd let him. Perfect. And, yeah. you know, manipulating things and, and figuring out how to, how to use his hands and wrists and fingers to, to meet those goals that he had for himself, uh, because that was relevant to his interests yeah. and, his, and his experience. Um, but it didn't. And I think that's the case with a lot of movement conversation is, um, uh, and, and att- paying attention conversations. It's, to, and we, we talked about this, actually, a podcast that's coming out this week, Dan. We talked about um, uh, the need to, um, or the, the, the fact that sometimes these problems that we see in children are not problems in the child. They're problems because they're not doing what we want them to do right. when we want them to do it. And so we pathologize pathologize the child, but really it's our expectation that we need to. That was a long, crooked way of getting there, but that's where I'm going is that we, it's like so many things. We have to stop and think about our own practice, our own goals, our own implementation 
before we automatically assume that a child needs a fidget toy to, to get through this. Right. It's interesting to me because as adults, we can go to a concert and watch people bounce all over the stage and not at all say, why don't they slow down? Why don't they be less fidgety? We get, we're jumping with them or we're singing uh-huh. with them or whatever. Yeah. We seem to tolerate that. Um, much better than we do children who jump around and mm. make make a lot of movement experiences. And, yeah. and I think that's an important part of it because um, the most difficult person to change, of course, is the adult. Yes. Um, because we want to make, we think it's easier um, to change the child. And we think it's our job to change the child. Exactly. Like that's our view of teaching sometimes. Yes. Yes. Finding what they do wrong and changing it. Yeah, and I think people come out of college sometimes thinking the only way I could teach is to make sure that I have control of Mm -hmm. uh, the situation and the situation usually is the child. Yeah, yeah. I'm teaching a curriculum in early childhood class this semester and I think um, they might be a little bit confused because our first essentially four weeks of work have been talking about relationships and talking about expectations and talking about things that aren't, you know, necessarily lesson plan activities and what they think of as curriculum. But um, we're sort of setting the foundation that you can't plan curriculum until you understand this other Oh, I totally agree with that. And and if we got the child is fidgeting, you can't really help fidgeting unless you realize the need Mm -hmm. that he or she has in terms of their own development. And yet, um, adults typically want to move right into changing and stopping, mm-hmm. essentially, yeah. uh, the activity yeah, or the active um, experience. Uh, it's right there in the word, activity. It's <laughs> active is right there in the word. Right. <laughs> <laughs> We're planning activities. We've got to have some action in there. Um, well, what are your parting thoughts? What What's your last word of advice, Dan, for people who are... I see wondering about the many most, directions. Most endings, Heather, and I'm sure people <laughs> get tired of it, but you really need to take a look at what a child is good at yep. and support um, what they're good at. So if they're really good at being active, then take a look at what I need to provide to make sure that he or she has that opportunity um, to be active rather mm-hmm. than deactivate mm-hmm. the child. Yeah. Um, because that sends a powerful message, um, which improves relationship, which improves all our other efforts with young children. If we can establish from the beginning or as soon as we can, or as soon as we see the need to, that we're there, we're on your side. We see you as a competent person. Um, we're going to meet your needs. Then that's going to, if we actually do need them, then at some point to sit and listen and whatever, they're going to be more likely to do that because we've established this. And, and giving them ways to meet, you know, to be good at. The other thing, too, is getting kids ready for kindergarten. Um, the implication is he's going to need to learn to slow down. Mm-hmm. Well, I think my responsibility is help the parents stand up for the child's yeah. activity level. And so I'm often saying, say to the teacher, how can I help you get over it? Uh, (laughs) Because I think that's a more supportive uh, for children than it is, okay, we're going to practice not moving as much. And that Mm -hmm. creates whole uh, dilemmas for Mm -hmm. children and 
uh, families. Yeah. Lots of stress for families. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, this was great, Dan. Thank you so much. Thanks for having Um, me. Always welcome. (laughs) All right. And thanks everybody else for listening. Um, And I know you probably enjoyed listening to Dan as much as I did. Uh, And come back next week for a new episode. Bye, everybody. That's the show. Now go get your nerd on. has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.